Welcome to the Center for the Advancement of Virtual Organizations podcast, Talent Management in a Post-Pandemic World. I'm Aaron Brown, professor in the School of Business at North Central University, and today I'm joined by Sylvia Molina, founder and CEO of Molina Consulting Group and author of Supportive Accountability, How to Inspire People and Improve Performance. Today, our discussion will focus on current trends in talent management in the post-pandemic recovery, as well as the outlook for the future of remote work. Welcome, Sylvia, and thanks so much for taking the time to come and chat. Hi, Aaron. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Well, Sylvia, I'm excited about life in general, but to get us started, please tell us about yourself. So as you mentioned, I am founder and CEO of Melina Consulting Group, and it is a leadership and management consulting, training, and publishing company. And I love, love leadership and all things workplace. That's awesome. Well, just to dive right into our show, how would you describe the great resignation and what would you say are some factors that have led or contributed to so much movement between employers? So the great resignation in a nutshell is an unprecedented and unforeseen mass exodus from the workplace. So people which are our most precious resources left at alarming rates and that crippled many businesses. Now we've had huge exoduses from the work before from the workplace before. For instance, the baby boomer generation and I am by the way, I'm part of that. I'm at the cusp of the baby boom. But the difference between that exit and the current exit is that the baby boomers were were um, were anticipated. So companies had long been forecasting the aging out of the population, and they were planning for for that through succession planning efforts and knowledge transfer efforts. The other thing is the sheer volume. So this exodus is huge, and it happened all at once. Whereas with the baby boom, it was it was in in waves. I would say. And so that that is in a nutshell what the great resignation is. And so what contributed to it? There were several factors that contributed. Um, as we hear a lot in the news, how the handling of the COVID-19 pandemic contributed to it. And that certainly is one factor. But when we look at the research, and it's all fairly new research because the pandemic and the, the new normal is fairly new. When we look at the research that's being conducted, it, it, it comes, it lays out several factors, but they all fall under one huge category. And that category is leadership and leadership because it impacts the work culture. So let me give you some examples. So in January of this year, Donald Saul, Charles Saul, and Ben Swig of Revelio Labs, they published an article in MIT Sloan Management Review called Toxic Culture is Driving the Great Resignation. The the title says it all. I mean, just by reading the title, you know exactly what, what the findings were. And so in a nutshell, it is the culture that's impacting. So um, they, they, they mapped out, they actually looked at 170 different 
uh, culture-related factors, and they analyzed them and determined which ones had more impact on people quitting. And the number one impact was toxic corporate culture. Interestingly enough, though, poor COVID response was only number five um, out of all the 170. It is high up there, but it wasn't as high as toxic corporate culture. And then McKinsey and Company, they also conducted some research. And in September of 2021, they laid out the results of its great attrition survey in the McKinsey quarterly. And here's what respondents had to say in terms of why they left the workplace. And they're all culture related. So 54% indicated they didn't feel valued by their organization. 52% said they didn't feel valued by their manager. 51% felt they lacked a sense of belonging. 46% wanted to work in an environment marked by trust and caring. So looking at all of those, it, they are very much culture related, but we all know that leadership drives the culture. So in my book, it's leadership driving the culture that is really generating the bigger impact. And I mean, and we can go on and on. We can cite the who's research. We could cite Gallup research. And it all boils down again to leadership and culture. And again, none of this is surprising. Before the pandemic, Companies were already struggling with some cultural things in the workplace. Now, during pandemic times, everything has really come to light. That's really interesting. I remember my doctorate is in strategic leadership. And so I remember as I was combing through the literature and reading, uh, every decade it was, there's a leadership problem. We really have to address it. And then in the 70s, there's a leadership problem. We really have to address it in the 80s, 90s, 2000s. And I just think it's so interesting that we are still needing to get a handle on leadership and that this great resignation has, like you said, helped bring this to light. So if, if individuals are leaving organizations due to leadership, bad leadership, I should say, this means that there are tons of talented individuals re-entering the job market. And if there's a lot of people re-entering the job market, then how does performance management post-pandemic, how is it different than pre-pandemic? And, and that's a very interesting question, too, because as I pondered that question, you know, when all of this broke out, the fundamentals of performance management have never changed. It's always it always has been always will be about people and about being, you know, people oriented and meeting their needs. It really goes back to all the needs based theories. So that hasn't changed. What really changed is the way we do business. So a lot of the, the research right now is talking about how we went, we went um, to high level of virtual um, digitized workplace. So we're working remotely now. And now post pandemic, the thought is that we're never going to go back to business as usual. 
people got a taste of the virtual environment and what it's like to have the freedom of working remotely and being able to manage work and home and and determine your own way of doing business. People love that. So we're never going to go back to that again. And so we really need to look at at performance management. It's it's the same, the same basic tenets, trust, effective communication, empowerment, leadership, all the soft side of leading, that still comes into play. The difference is not the what, it's the how. And so it's just a matter of of keeping, being mindful that, you know, that in the digitized world, people still want relationships. And so we need to be able to connect with with other human beings because we want to belong. We want to feel connected. So, so really, it hasn't changed a whole lot except the how. Now, in my book, an email has never been a conversation. So I, I'm a firm believer in actual having verbal conversations, whether it's over the phone, whether it's over um, Zoom or Zencaster or whatever other tool, um, but having the, the, the human touch, either voice to voice and preferably if I can see your face and your, your body language that, that adds to the richness of our conversation. No, that's excellent. Okay. You said several things that I'm going to try and turn into one question. So you said needs theory hasn't really changed and it's the how of leading people and meeting their needs. And so another thought with those other two thoughts, the third thought is, so I speak at conferences on the topic of Gen Z and the workplace Uh, integration, onboarding, things like that. So Gen Z has expressed that we want mentorship, we want development in the workplace, and we want that opportunity to even go to work and have a happy hour afterwards. So what would you say are some needs and hows that our audience should be aware of if they're leading people in virtual organizations? Mm -hmm. So I I always look at leadership in that I am going to treat people the way they want to be treated. And the way and 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 I do believe, I mean, in, in the generations, again, I'm really a cusper. I'm not quite boom yet. I, I'm between X and, and boom. But believe that treating people as individuals and getting to know them as people and you'll know exactly what ignites them, what drives them, what engages them, what helps them become motivated and what deflates and demotivates them. And an example is, yes, some of the younger generations want that connection, but I got to tell you as a boomer, I wanted that connection too. So, so it's, um, it is, it is about being personal in the workplace there. You don't leave your personal life at home. In my book, you're a whole person. You come with hopes, dreams, aspirations, challenges, fears, and you bring those to work. And to me, the bottom line is that strong supervisor-employee relationship. If I get to know you as a person, then I know, I know not only that you want to be developed, 
but how you want to be developed because everyone is different. Maybe I don't necessarily want to learn by going to a training. Maybe I want a stretch assignment and, and not a little stretch. I may want a major stretch. Maybe, and there are sometimes um, when people, ha- we observe people and we know, like I'll give you an example. I, I had a direct report that was a leader as well and he was excellent at speaking and I would send him to speak everywhere. One day he said, Sylvia, um, I said, hey, do you want to go speak over here? They need a speaker. And he said, you know what? I will happily do that. Just know that it isn't my strength. And I said, what? I think you're wonderful. He said, yes, I can pull it off, but it stresses me out and it and I do not enjoy it. And see, but, the, but the relationship that we had was rock solid where he can tell me that. He felt safe enough to say, no, it's not something I'm not happy doing. Now, without that relationship, I could have kept sending him. And every time he, would, he was out there giving his presentations, it's draining him and it's deflating him. And I think he would have left. Instead, he stayed around until he promoted out. But it's just getting to know people. And then back to your, to your initial question is some people want short texts. So, I mean, I love to talk. But if, if, if my direct report is drained by my conversation, then I have to learn how to send the text. I have to learn how to communicate in the way that works best for, for, for that person. And as far as um, happy hours and things like that, I think that there is, um, there's, there's a little bit of a balancing act that we need to do because obviously if it's com- company sponsored, and I'm no lawyer, so I'm not giving legal advice, but if it's company sponsored, then there are legal things involved if there are, you know, any accidents or things happen. Um, and I'll say sexual harassment or other things that might happen at the event or maybe an accident because someone was intoxicated at the event. That aside, People want to connect. So there are ways that we can make those, those connections happen. And I'm, I'm big on empowering people to, to establish those connections themselves. People are going to connect with or without me. But if I empower the connections and I'm seen as supporting the connections, then I'm seen as a supportive leader and not one that, that squelches those um, types of events. Sure. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much for for answering that really big question. With that said, what do you perceive or what has your research said are some of the greatest challenges that HR professionals encounter in this new post-pandemic world of work? Well, depending on what what um, what charge the HR professional has or what area he or she's responsible for, there are many challenges. One major challenge, and it and we see it all over the news, is talent acquisition. Given the the incredible attrition rates due to the Great Recession, I mean resignation. I, I, I'm still thinking Great Recession <laughs> due to the Great Resignation um, and fierce competition for talent. People are having a hard time filling sometimes critical roles, and and right now all roles are are critical. 
And so that's one. Um, the other thing is what we've been talking about is the need on the performance management level to manage performance in a way that not only supports employees and engages them, but also unleashes potential and creates an environment when pe- where people can thrive. And again, these are just a couple of examples. And one of the things that I I saw a lot when we when we first came into the whole virtual environment in the in twenty twenty is I'm in a lot of, you know, groups and forums, and I saw people worried. And when I say people, leaders. I saw leaders really focusing on how do I monitor that people are really logging on when they're supposed to be on, working when they're supposed to be working. And really, that type of monitoring is borderline surveillance. So, <laughs> I love that. No, it's it's true. It's true. I just love that you said it. So, not that I don't believe in monitoring. So, I that's a matter of fact. That's one of the things that I teach when I teach performance management. But I look at monitor, monitoring as measuring, observing, and reviewing work not expecting people to follow a play-by-play. And in this new virtual environment, as long as the work gets done, so for me, the bottom line is results. If you can meet whatever I've set out, the productivity levels or the deliverables on a project, if you can meet the results, then that should be enough monitoring. People shouldn't feel like they're under surveillance, under a microscope, constantly having someone look over their shoulder. So things like that is really looking at performance management and looking at it from a support perspective and trusting employees so that they can trust us back. So with that said, Sylvia, do you anticipate, we've already seen this in the world of HR, probably over the last 10 years, but uh, moves from just simply giving a job description to more defined job roles in the sense of let's, let's identify how, let's identify the percentage of your time you'll spend on certain tasks. Do you anticipate or envision where we will continue to change how we write job descriptions and even do performance reviews post pandemic so so job descriptions is not something i really have looked at in depth i can say that the conversation on performance reviews has long been in the works so we've talked that you know i've heard this let's get rid of the the performance reviews and with that um I interpreted that as no performance reviews, but really what that means is instead of having, let's say, an annual or a semi-annual review that's official and in writing, is having more frequent conversations and um, and having more frequent reviews. I mean, reviewing performance with people on a on a on a cyclical basis that's frequent. So I grew up in government, and in government, it was local government, we did have an annual performance review. However, the way I look at performance management cycles, I see it in multiple cycles operating at different times. So we have the annual review cycle, and and that's the formal cycle, but then there were other cycles in place. 
I had a monthly formal review cycle where I met one-on-one with my direct reports at least monthly. And those they were leaders as well. And they met with their direct reports. And we talked about everything from performance to what do you aspire? Where do you want to go next? How can I help you? Um, and we did have a very structured tool that helped us frame that conversation. But I always saw that tool as a springboard and not necessarily a box that kept us talking just about whatever was on that. Sometimes if the need was to talk about something else, we we set the tool aside and we had a conversation about what the employee needed to talk about. But so those were your monthly cycles and those were formal structured cycles. Then here are my favorite performance management cycles. These are the ones that are informal, that are happening all the time. They're happening sometimes day by day, sometimes every 15 minutes. It's every time I'm sitting with you and engaging in some kind of performance-related interaction. That could be I'm recognizing you because to me that's part of performance management. It could be I'm giving you support, whether it's um, a mental health um, support through the employee assistance program, whether it's an accommodation in the workplace, whether it's just my ear and you don't need me to solve a problem. You just need me to be your your, um, sounding board, whether it's to refer you to training, whatever it is, those are constantly happening. And if I imagine them as these wheels just spinning and there are multiple wheels happening all the time. To me, that's that's the way we manage performance continually. And it's most effective when my relationship with my direct report is a strong, solid, professional one. And there's absolute safety for that person to be real and genuine and, and push back, um, push back on me as a leader because I'm not always right. I don't have all the answers and I'm definitely not always, I'm definitely not the most intelligent person in the room. There's always going to be someone smarter, brighter. And if you're leading talented people, that happens all the time. That's great. So speaking of of talented people, um, what advice would you give job seekers in our evolving world of work? Because there's so much opportunity right now, we we talked about how employers are having difficulty filling vacancies and, and there's so much competition. Be open to opportunities you may not have considered. Broaden your perspective, broaden your horizons. And if if an opportunity or a dream job feels out of reach because maybe you don't have a specific skill or there's something else that you need to acquire, they, then consider upgrading your skills. And, um, and they can do that through a variety of ways. There's also a lot of funding in different municipalities right now. So through the Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act, if someone types Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act and the name of your city into um, an internet browser, it'll pull up the different opportunities for training that are available within your within your city or municipality. So that's one. The second one is as you're considering 
joining an organization, make sure that there's value alignment or value congruence. Make sure that the organization's values align with yours so that so that you're working every day in a place where you feel like you're working, you know, with integrity to yourself and who you are as a person. And then the the third is to identify the type of work that's meaningful for you. Now is the perfect time to do that self-reflection and to really look at opportunities in a different light and to see what kind of work is going to excite me, what am I passionate about, and where can I make a difference? And I I can look forward to, to work every day. So I'll be excited to show up to work every day. That's awesome. That's awesome. I was telling somebody recently, I said, I love working from home so much. I love the virtual environment. I have my office exactly the way that I want it. If I had to go back to a real office, I think I would die. So <laughs> those are one of my values, not oh. So, Aaron, um, I am the opposite. I wow. love being with people. I'm I'm a, a creature of face to face, and maybe that is part of my generation. But yeah, I struggle to adapt to the new to the virtual world. But well, but I'm there. <laughs> I think one thing that I have learned is probably two to three times out of the week, uh, we use Teams here at North Central University. And one of the things that I do is I go hunting for friends. So like checking in after the new year, things like that, and and filling that deposit, a relational deposit, yes. by reaching out to my coworkers and doing the best that I can to, do, to develop authentic relationships. So Sylvia, one last question. If there are any other insights or recommendations for both HR professionals and job seekers, what would some final thoughts be? So I would just wrap it up in the same vein that we've been discussing is that the bottom line, yes, infrastructure is super important, just like you said, Teams and for some people, Zoom or Skype or whatever, whatever other technology, the um, learning management systems, et cetera. Infrastructure is important, but more important than than infrastructure is people. So whether you're a leader, a team member, whether you're an HR professional, focusing on people and building meaningful relationships in the workplace is what's going to drive success. And that will also help with talent retention. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Sylvia, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. I've had a blast. I hope you've had a blast. Thank you for joining us in support of the Center for the Advancement of Virtual Organizations. We truly appreciate your insights, and we know our listeners will benefit from your experience. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me.